And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. P. Andrew Sandlin, founder and president of the Center for Cultural Leadership. Andrew, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Well, thank you, Dan. I love being on every time. You're such a great interviewer, and your program is outstanding, so it's a privilege for me. Uh, You're very kind. Um, Today we want to talk a little bit about prayer. Andrew, you've written an article on your website, DocSandlin.com, and it talks about prayer. Um, um, We're going through some hard times right now in America. Uh, There's a lot of um, civil unrest, and it wouldn't surprise me, Andrew, but what people are losing their confidence, I'm talking Christian people, losing their confidence in the power of God to convert souls and whole societies. And um, I think there's a tendency towards becoming very pessimistic during times like this. And I might say for good reason. I mean, we're, we're human, and we feel, and, and the, the sense of loss of our cities and things burning down and people being killed. You think, wow, am I living in America, or am I in some third world country in some of these places? So let's talk a little bit about prayer, and uh, maybe you can get us started. Um, some of the concepts that you included, perhaps, in this article. Yes. Um, I think uh, what I began with was a historical observation that's uh, very sobering and disappointing. Um, uh, Like you and many of your listeners, Dan, I do a lot of reading, and uh, particularly reading from the last 100 to 300 years before our society dipped into the apostasy. It's suffering now. One thing I noticed about a number of Christian leaders at the time was how often they preached about and emphasized uh, and how often churches practiced uh, prevailing expectant prayer. And I compared, I should say contrasted that, with the remarkable uh, marginalization of prayer uh, in the church today. I don't mean perfunctory prayers like a couple of prayers during the service, but I mean uh, prayer meetings and ministers who spend uh, hours a week in prayer, and the lay Christians who commit themselves to prayer. Uh, We don't live in a culture, the culture with iPhones and computers and 24-7 news cycles and 24-7 TV programs, uh, that uh, really feels it has much time for prayer. Um, But as someone wisely said, if we don't take time for prayer, the devil will make sure that we don't have time Mm. uh, for prayer. Uh, That's one problem. The other problem that I pointed out, and this is perhaps even worse than the first one, is just the increased lack of faith about answered prayer. Uh, Now, contrast this with the Bible, where again and again we have promises about answered prayer. Uh, I won't even take time to enumerate those. There's so many. Just start with what Jesus said in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, and it will be given to you. Your Heavenly Father gives good things to His children. He says, uh, there are two responses to that uh, that many Christians will give. One is that, well, I've tried that and it doesn't work, mm-hmm. so I'm going to quit trying it. And uh, the other uh, response is that, well, this sort of reminds me of this popular health and wealth gospel and prosperity gospel. People say, oh, God, I want a, a new Lamborghini or I want a new Bayfront property. 
and I'm going to visualize it, and God will give it. Well, both of these are uh, mistaken objections. Uh, first, we, don't, we should not allow our particular weak experience to reshape what the Word of God is teaching, but trust God and redouble our efforts at prayer. And two, the prosperity gospel is a false gospel. Uh, the Bible teaches that God answers the righteous prayers of righteous people, not the unrighteous prayers of narcissistic, self-centered people. So when we talk about answered prayer, we mean sincere prayer from the heart for people who love God and are surrendered to him. They won't pray unrighteous, self-centered prayers. Uh, having said that, however, it's truly remarkable that so many Christians do not stand squarely on the word of God for answers to small things, small provisions, and large, for physical healing and uh, for provision for a new vehicle if they really need one, uh, provision for uh, salvation, praying for the salvation of sinners, uh, for great reformation in our country. You mentioned earlier the terrible riots and all of this happened in COVID. Now, of all the things that have been said, Dan, it's remarkable how few people, that I, at least that I have seen, have really called for long, sustained prayer. You see, our forefathers in this situation, uh, let's just say the ministers, one of the first things they would have done, one of the first things would say, Let's get on our face before God, try to find out what he is doing, and ask him if this is judgment, what we need to do, and to protect our church so that we can advance the kingdom of God. Mm. Whatever it was, they would be on their face before God. But I dare say that for the vast majority of churches, that's not what happened. The first thing that happened is, well, how do we respond to this? Okay, how are we going to produce our own Zoom meetings? And you know, how are we going to collect the, um, the tithes and offerings? And how should we respond to these shutdown orders? And so forth. Rather than speaking to God, it's speaking to man rather than speaking to God that mm. really troubles me. So these are some of the main concerns that I have. Yes, that's very good. Um, I feel a weakness in my person. And when I pray, either I get tired or I get sleepy or I, I become weary, um, just just very practical human things. How do we overcome this, I wonder? Yes, that's many of our forefathers actually addressed that, though they obviously weren't living in our time, and there are more distractions. They, too, could get distracted and tired. One thing they often said is, um, and two points here, we should have a specific time of praying during the day, as Daniel did, of course, and many of the saints, our Lord did also by the way, but to save the time when you tend to be most alert for your time of prayer. Uh, generally for most of us, not all, it's when we wake up in the morning, sometimes we need some coffee to get us going, but oftentimes we're most alert when we get up, and so often, uh, historically, that's when Christians would take a half an hour to pray, and if you say, well, I don't have half an hour, we'll take 15 minutes, and if somebody says, well, I don't have 15 minutes, well, I would ask them, how much time are you spending on Facebook? Yes. So it's remarkable that we can always find time for what we think is important, Dan. We always can find time for that. Are there exceptions? Sure. There are emergencies. We cannot roll out of bed and have a time talking to God. But, and this is the second point, not simply stated times of prayer, which the Bible does emphasize, but rather just many, many, hundreds, in fact, of small prayers throughout the day. I believe it was the great Bible-believing preacher, the great Anglican, J.C. Ryle, that said, and uh, I can't quote him exactly, but he says, we should pray hundreds of prayers as, as small winged explosions sent up into the heavens. 
Just sort of every day. I mean, prayers, maybe there were only three or four words. Maybe there were only one sentence. But um, as we prayed before, I, by God's grace, I wouldn't dream of talking to someone. Often I'm, people call for advice or so on. I don't have uh, perhaps even five minutes to spend just for every single time. But I will say, Lord, I, I'm in desperate need of wisdom. Please give me wisdom when I do this. So both stated times of prayer and hundreds sometimes of small prayers throughout the day are what God would expect and are actually part, and this is a crucial point, Dan, I am not describing those who are sort of facetiously called super saints. I'm not describing those who, well, these are, these are the ministers. I'm saying that this is normal Christian living. All Christians should be praying every day. They should, there should be a stated time of prayer, and of course many scores, as I said, perhaps hundreds, of very small prayers throughout the day. Yes, amen. Yeah, as I walk around, sometimes I'll I'll just just like a natural talking, you know, the, say, "Lord, please help me here. I really need your help on this." Yes. Um, yes. Now, now, now you you write how that prayer changes things, and, and one of your subheadings was answered prayer glorifies God. You know, I sometimes wonder if we we try to protect God, quote unquote, protect Him, and say, "Well, if He doesn't answer, I'll have some kind of an excuse." But but I should really be believing that God is going to answer my prayers, right? Yeah, because that's exactly, that's living in faith. And uh, there is a well-meaning but mistaken idea out there that if we pray for God to do something, let's say, for us, let's say our car's getting old, we needed to get to church, we needed to get to work, that we somehow it's less spiritual to say, Lord, please provide us a good, reliable vehicle. We don't need perhaps a, you know, a a brand-new Mercedes-Benz, but we do need a good, reliable vehicle. That's a good prayer to pray. Well, some would say, well, that's, you know, that's not really all that important. You know, you can just get a vehicle. That's sort of self-centered. It's self-centered to pray like that, or that God will provide you money for a vacation, or whatever the case may be, and that's not all that important. But in fact, if you pray that in simple faith, based on the promises of the Word of God, and if you tell people, even if it's members of your family, I'm praying about this, will you pray with me? And if and when God answers that prayer, people see this and you glorify God. Hey, God is bringing glory to himself by answering that prayer. And B, it's increasing the faith, your faith, and the people who know. So far from being self-centered, actually it's being self-centered to say, well, I'm not going to pray about things like that mm-hmm. because I don't want to center on myself. Actually, answered prayer gives glory to God, and it increases faith in the people that know about it. Yeah. Today we're talking with uh, Dr. P. Andrew Sandlin. And uh, in your paper, you're talking about prayer changes circumstances, and you give some examples. And one big example is uh, that of Elijah. Can you um, discuss that briefly with our listeners? Yes, it's very interesting you would ask that. Just this morning in my own devotional time, I was reading in First Kings about Elijah and Ahab, and there's several cases there, but uh, the one that I was reading is his contest, of course, uh, with the prophets of Baal. And Israel, I won't go into the details, but under Ahab had, uh, as often the case, had apostatized, and, he had, and uh, he, uh, through his prayer, he had prayed on the basis of the Word of God and prayed that God would shut the heavens, as God promised to do in Deuteronomy uh, to his people, he would not send any rain, and therefore there would be great famine. And so things were coming to a head, and God told uh, Elijah to tell Ahab, come meet me at Carmel, and they did, and there was a great contest. And again, you know about the fire falling from heaven and the contest between the false prophets, whom he, under God's authority, direct authority, 
executed. Well, so here's Elijah praying in faith and praying that the circumstances would change. Now, I know many well-meaning Christians who believe in the will of God, and we certainly should believe in that. The Bible requires that. Who somehow assume that if we pray for God to change things, that somehow we're praying against the will of God. But if there's evil in the world, or if there's hardship, there's nothing wrong with praying about it and praying that God changes it. Mm. In fact, every single prayer, if you think about it, every single prayer that is petitionary prayer, a request, is asking for God to change something. I mean, why do we request something? Because we want something to change. We want something different from the way it is, or at least we want something to continue that is good. So we're wanting God to, in other words, Dan, we're wanting God to intervene Mm. in history. But that's another teaching that many people, many Christians even today, would feel uncomfortable with. Perhaps it's because of the Enlightenment. I don't know. Their view is, yes, God gave us his word, and thank God for their belief in God's word. But they sort of believe that God has retreated, and we simply obey the Bible, and we don't really ask God to do anything. Well, the Bible itself tells us to ask God all the time to intervene in history, in small things and large things. It's remarkable how many Christians will say, yes, if it's a matter of grave, someone cancer will pray for healing, or uh, there's some utter tragedy. That's a big issue, and God's interested in big issues. But, you know, if I'm going out driving and I need something, I don't, God's not really interested in, in small things like uh, whether we should choose this restaurant or that. He's not interested in that. Well, that sounds very pious, but it's not. The Bible teaches that God's interested in every facet of our lives. He sees, he sees every a sparrow that falls. To, to say that we should not pray prayers about small things is to say that God's not interested in small things. But the Bible does teach that God's interested in every facet of our lives, and therefore he's interested in any prayer and surrender to him, no matter how small it is. So God um, absolutely can and will change our circumstances, and uh, he also changes people. You have a subheading here, prayer changes people. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, there's no question about that. Um, we, uh, well, the most obvious example is if we really believe that God answers prayer, if we believe that God is the one that opens people's hearts, then we need to pray that God will, let's take the case of unbelievers, that God will open their hearts. We, we should not respond to that, well, we believe in the doctrine of election. Well, of course we do. But the fact is that God uses human means to effect his work in the earth. Right. And if we have friends that are our family members that are unbelievers, precisely because we believe God is so powerful, we need to pray that God, God alone will open their hearts. And this is true of those who have, who, those who have strayed from the faith. Pray that God changes them. Uh, the Bible says the king's heart is in the Lord's hand, and he turns it however he wishes. Mm. Well, if that's the case, then we need to pray that God changes people. What we're really saying when we and I say that God changes people, is that God is greater than man, <laughs> that God can accomplish his will in people's lives. And therefore, pray for prayer for God to change people, uh, which he has the, biblically has and does all the time, is a wholly appropriate prayer. Yes. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm thinking here a, a wife may have an unsaved husband, and her heart is just broken. It's just grieved. You know, maybe she came to faith after they were married, and she's yeah. been praying for that husband that he would come to faith, and it almost seems like nothing's happening. And any word of encouragement for that 
that dear saint out there that's praying for their loved one to come to faith. Yes. Oh, there are so many of those. God loves when we pour out our hearts before him in simple, childlike prayer, and God delights to save unbelievers. Make no mistake, God will judge those, the finally impenitent, those who don't turn. But the Bible says God does not delight in the death of the wicked. The Bible says the judgment is God's strange work. God isn't up there uh, just delightfully and gleefully hoping and desiring that he he can judge as many people as possible, though his justice demands he will do it if necessary. No, God delights to show his mercy, and God delights to show his grace, shower his grace, and God delights to save those, and particularly under the prayer of people. God is intentionally makes himself intentionally vulnerable to these prayers. I want your listeners to understand what I mean by that. I don't mean by that that God is weak and that God does not have a plan. He intentionally, just as he intentionally covenants with people, he intentionally makes himself vulnerable to prayer. I think of the case of Hannah, who wanted a son so badly, and um, her colleague there would make fun of her because of her barrenness, and she poured out her soul before God again and again and wept great tears, so much so that the priest, Eli, thought she was drunk. She was so emotionally shaken. He thought she was drunk, and she says, no, no, I'm not drunk. I'm just shaken because I want this so badly, and it touched God's heart. And I just read about uh, the story you were mentioning, Elijah. Yesterday, I think, the story of Elijah with a child. Uh, he stretched himself, and he cried. In the Hebrew, that means a loud voice. He cried to the Lord in great anguish of soul, and God heard, and God listened. Amen. Uh, so this, people need to understand that God intentionally listens to. He, he, because it's in his nature to be a compassionate God. It's not that he somehow is weak and fails, oh, I, I was really, really hard and austere, but if you talk me into it, that's not it. The point is that God is intentionally vulnerable and compassionate to those who pour out their hearts and souls to him. Mm. That's what I think people need to understand. Amen. Yeah, today we're talking with uh, Dr. P. Andrew Sandlin of the uh, Center for Cultural Leadership, and um, another case Andrew is the brother or sister who is sick, and um, some would say, well, it's it's just God's will, you know, he's sick, and, and not, nothing we can do, but that's not a life of faith, is it? God tells us even to go so far as having the elders of the church come and applying oil to the sick one, and yeah. can, can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yes, that's... This is perhaps one of the most striking ways in which our modern understanding is so different from the Bible. Uh, In the Bible, God's work in the world is, we would say, holistic. Unfortunately, many Christians are committed to dualism. Now, it's fascinating that, uh, Dan, many Christians see, let's say, regeneration as a great miracle. How does God take this stony heart and turn it into a heart of flesh and turn people around so that they're regenerate and trust in Christ? They have enough faith to believe that. Well... That, of course, is perhaps one of the greatest miracles of all. Amen. That's a much greater miracle than physical healing, mm-hmm. clearly. And yet, for some reason, they will believe that God can perform that miracle, but not a, a, a lesser miracle of physical healing. And I would also add that God also, God uses both ways of healing. People will say, are you arguing against doctors? No, they're a great gift from God. And uh, we should pray that God gives doctors wisdom and be able to heal. But in some cases... 
in the Word of God, he heals directly. And the Bible says, call for the, call for the elders of the church. I don't know why Christians don't do that. Well, one reason, I guess, is because of, quote, healing ministries. We all know of those, Benny Hinn. Now, notice carefully, the Bible knows nothing about, quote, healing ministries. It does know about divine healing in preaching and living according to the gospel. Mm -hmm. When Jesus came, he didn't go around starting healing ministries, but he did go everywhere healing because what was he doing? He was preaching the kingdom of God, the reign of God. And this was a testimony of God's work of healing the heart and healing the body. So I want to make clear, the Bible doesn't promise that every single time and every single person for whom we pray will be healed. But it certainly does indicate clearly, again and again, that many more will be healed than if we don't pray, because God honors faith. So I would recommend to those who are very sick, pray for God to heal. Have the elders. And by the way, you notice there it says in the book of James, it's not a recommendation. Are you sick? Call for the elders of the church. If any is sick, he should be the one to call. Incidentally, it says the one who is sick must do it. He must be the one to have the faith. Mm. So it's not just the elders that say, well, we're going to do this, although it's not wrong to recommend that. It's the person that is sick must say, you know, I believe that I must trust the Word of God and cast myself entirely on the Word of God and call the elders to anoint me. Now, to anybody, Dan, who says, well, that's just sort of weird, and I know people that have abused it, and therefore I just think we're going to avoid that, let's just be honest. They're saying they really don't trust the written Word of God. Yes. But if we're going to trust John 3.16, we also have to trust the book of James. <laughs> This is true of all of the Word of God, so we need to trust. The old-timers had a word that we don't use much anymore. It's called venture, venture upon God. That is, cast yourself entirely on Him and trust Him to do what He said He would do. Mm, yes. Well, we've only got about two minutes left, and I, I'm afraid we won't get to this last part about prayer actually changing God. And that sounds heretical, but it's not. Uh, can you just highlight what is meant yes. by that? Uh, we know Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes. He doesn't change and all of that. But can you explain really quick for us yep. to get a hold of that? I'll do that quick, Dan. Yeah, it's the important thing to understand is when the Bible talks about God not changing in Christ, it means their character doesn't change. It means that God is always just, always true, always loving. He's not a flighty God. But that doesn't mean he doesn't change in his stated purposes. Again and again, yes. God says, he sends a prophet, he sends Jonah, 40 days and it's going to be destroyed. He didn't say 40 days, but it won't be destroyed if you repent. But they did repent, and he was willing to change. So hmm. in his declared purposes, God is often willing to change if his people will get on their face before God. This doesn't mean that his character will change. That's a different matter. Yeah, that's an excellent summary. Well, today we've been talking with Dr. P. Andrew Sandlin. And, Andrew, um, direct people to your website, if you would, and also mention a new book that's coming out. Great. Thank you, Dan. It's ChristianCulture.com. It's written solidly, ChristianCulture.com. Or, as Dan, you've already mentioned, DocSandlin.com, and you can go there and uh, subscribe. New book coming out is called Creational Worldview, an introduction. Uh, I think people would really enjoy it. If you go to the website and you just sort of keep clicking on it or you sign up, you'll get a, a notice about when that book comes out probably in a couple of weeks. Well, I think it's going to be a wonderful book, and uh, I can't recommend uh, P. Andrew Sandlin enough for your reading, dear listener. Um, be sure to check him out. 
Again, that's christianculture.com. And Andrew, thank you so much for your service to the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please keep up the good work. Thank you, dear friend. I will talk to you again soon. God bless you. (laughs) And you. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war shall cease, and holiness shall whisper the sweet Amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing, nor roll of stirring drums, but deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. Let your kingdom come and your will be done right here on the earth like it is in heaven. Lead on, O King Eternal, we follow not with fears, for gladness breaks like morning, where'er thy face appears. Let your Lead on, O God of my